It's a Christmas ornament. Yes. I know people that actually carry two phones. I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's annoying. I'm going to charge two phones. The guy we worked for this summer had two See, the beautiful thing is, you play. do is, because I used to have two phone numbers, but I just, they both went to the same phone. You just port the number into Google Voice and then have Google Voice send it to your to your phone. So it didn't matter which number they called or texted, I got it all on one phone. So I actually still have both of those numbers, but I don't ever give out the Google Voice number anymore. I still have it. Just in case someone calls it. But uh, I think that's the only number Nathan has for me, actually, because every time he texts me, it comes in from that number. Which is fine. doesn't matter. But. Is that a Bible phone cover? It's not a Bible, per really. It looks like a Bible. It does. But um, this is my winter phone case. Your winter phone case, huh? Because in the summer, I can't really put this honking thing in my pocket. You know what I mean? Like I got, you know, just, you know. And it just, just floats on the ground and put the phone in my pocket. So, Bible case, how soon is it cool? But it does kind of look like I'm reading the Bible. It does. I'm actually playing Angry Birds. What translation? So that way in church, they'll think you're reading your Bible. That's terrible! That was, that was the thought. You have it turned sideways, playing Angry Birds, like you're reading your Bible wrong. Well, because I, I read scripture from my phone all the time. Sideways. You know, so... No, I mean, really. I have a Bible phone and so I just like this. I saw it on the internet and I was like, oh, I have to have that. I still need to get a phone case. Mine is gonna. I think they only make this particular this one for, for iPhone. I don't think they make it for iPhone. You can get it for. You can get a book, a bookcase for your iPad, um, and for your MacBook Pro or your MacBook Air. Those kind of things. Too. They're huge books, though. Those. Yeah. And so, like, let me take my Webster's dictionary out. Oh, it's a Mac. Well, part of the idea was that, like, if you put it in your book bag that way, people just think it's a book and they're not going to steal it, you know? Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't work for this. But this is also a wallet mm -hmm. and a phone case, mm -hmm. which is what really drew me to it because I'm constantly. That's genius. When I had both, I was constantly losing one or the other, like, where's my wallet or where's my phone? Mm -hmm. Now, my wife was like, you're just going to lose the one thing now. I said, gee, thanks, dear. That's what I was thinking. But I haven't. It's been much easier to... That's good. Because uh, I only have one thing to actually remember where I put it. Other than this, but it's kind of hard to lose that. That's why you made it right. No matter where you put it, it's like, ah. now it's Christmas. Plus, when you buy this, you donate money to like AIDS research. 
Love Age Research. Just could you buy a red one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I remember. Project Red? Well, yeah. It's still out there. Project Red is still out there. Really? I thought it was like totally like died down. <laughs> no, it's still out there. Believe it or not. I know. It just, it's not everywhere like it was for a minute. Yes, it was everywhere, everywhere. For, like, but it, breast cancer. still, anytime you buy an Apple product that is red, you're giving to Project Red. What? Yes. Now you feel bad anytime you don't buy a red I know, right? Wow. Well, I got this. I had, I have another one. I made another iPad that is, that has a black back to it and a black cover, and I just didn't want to. Said I don't want black again. What the black go to? They find the cure for the black plague. Well, they already did. So, you know. Okay, we are going to. Um, complete Romans chapter 8 and get a good start on 9 today. That's my goal. To dig into <laughs> chapter 9 a little bit today. But the stuff that we have in 8 is still, there's still tons of really great stuff, okay? That we never, that we didn't get to because God like dropped a bomb on us and I said, let's just let God do what he's doing. That was sweet. So, I'm open to that whenever, Father. So, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that I'm here with uh, your amazing kids again. And, Lord, I pray that you would um, that you would speak to us all through your word this morning. And uh, that we would receive it with happy hearts. And that it would go down deep into us and produce fruit in keeping with righteousness. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so we are starting at verse 15, I believe, in Romans chapter 8, which is right about halfway. I'm double checking. That's right. No, verse 18. 15 is when the bomb was dropped. Yeah. Um, all right. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Um, that verse was, has been, in, in the dark, darkest times of my life, that verse has been, like, my verse that is the anchor in the storm, you know, where I just feel like I'm just being beat up all over the place. I can... I go back to this verse and say, you know what? The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in me. Who has to us instead of in us? Yeah. Um, ESV actually says to us. But the actual uh, Greek is not to us, but through us, in us. Uh, that it's more along those lines than to us, although to us works as well. So we'll see it for sure, but it's actually going to be revealed in us and through us, this glory that he's talking about. And the reason he says that is because the suffering that we're walking through is God's method for building this glory that will be revealed out of us. 
in Scripture there is a massive theme all from the from beginning all the way through to the end of God using suffering and difficulty to form things in us that are valuable. Okay, the way that God spoke this to me once, and I think I've told it to you before, but was I will not allow your comfort to stand in the way of your destiny. Okay, that God is more interested in the reflection of his glory beaming out of you that can be formed through a difficult time than he is in how comfortable you are in the process. He has no question about whether or not you're going to make it through. He will hold you. But he is not interested in making you comfortable. He's interested in making you glorious. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be times of comfort and that God doesn't love to comfort us. The Holy Spirit is, one of His names is Comforter. Okay, But God's not willing to allow His desire for our comfort to be overcome, or to overcome His desire for His glory to be revealed in us. Um, and for our ultimate joy. The, the way that... Uh, I've heard John Piper say this is God is dedicated eternally, omnipotently dedicated to your joy, to, to your greatest joy for the greatest amount of time. So if God is doing something in you now that's difficult, it's because there's an eternal joy that you're winning through this fight, this grit, this difficulty. And every time we walk through that, I remember another time I was, I was in the shower and the Lord just dropped this in my spirit. He said, he said, hear me, the pain that you feel right now is not about punishment, it's about promotion. And I was just like, oh, you know, I mean, it, it, the Lord just, because I felt so chastised by God. And the truth is, that's what was happening. You know, the Bible says that God chastised those he loves. But this isn't about, you're going to pay the price for what you did. No, 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 no. No, that's not what it's about. It's about, I am going to fix this flaw in you. I'm going to teach this reality to you by whatever means necessary because the destiny I have for you coming, this can't be there. Okay? So God will do... He, he will fix those things by the least uh, painful means possible. But that doesn't mean it won't be painful. And a lot of times, God will walk us around in a circle for years, and each time we hit that point in the circle, that point becomes more painful than it was last time, because the last time we walked through, through chastisement over this, we didn't learn our lesson, and so He has to teach us again. You know, but but we didn't hear him last time, and so this time he's upping the temperature a little bit to see if we'll get it. Does this make sense to you guys? You know, I always talk about the way that parents do this. When when my kids are about to do something they shouldn't do, okay, I'll say, I will start with a warning. Don't do that. Okay? 
and then they will continue on in their current course of behavior. My next warning will become a little more vehement. Look at me. Don't do that. And the next warning is a little more vehement. If you do that, I will spank you. And then they do it anyway, and pain comes. Okay, why? But I didn't start with the spanking. I didn't just let them walk until, you know, and then I spanked them. No, that I, that I would not be a good parent, right? And so God gives us warnings through teachers, through his word, through uh, wise people that are around us. Listen to your parents, people. Listen to the, the elders around you that love you. And when they say, red flag, okay, pay attention to them. Don't just write them off because you don't understand me. Oh, shut up. Yes, they do. Okay? When they see, listen to them. Okay? Because what they're doing is trying to give you a heads up about what's coming so that you can learn through a warning rather than through pain. Okay? And that's what God would do as well. He will warn us first and then he'll allow a minimal consequence to come of our action. And if something still doesn't happen, he will raise the stakes and then raise the stakes and then raise the stakes. And, and finally, there will come a time when the consequence is large enough that the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same and we will change. God knows what he's doing and he will lead us there. He's hoping, he's, he's really desiring that we will listen to him the first time. But most of the time we don't. And so we keep, and so he has to raise the stakes. Anytime you're walking through a time of, of pain or difficulty, lean into it. Don't do what humans do. Humans avoid pain at all costs. That's what we do. We no, okay? Don't do that. Be wise. Lean into that pain and learn. Learn. Because God's trying to say something to you. You're not hurting for no reason. Let's continue. Okay, this next part is so unbelievably glorious. I might just fall out, but who knows. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Okay, Get this. Creation is watching you because you have the first fruits of resurrection at work. Remember we talked about this resurrection that began in us with that first faith transaction we made with God where he came in and resurrected our spirit and now resurrection life is moving outward from that place through us and eventually our bodies will be resurrected. And But it doesn't stop there. See, we're the first fruits of resurrection. But resurrection 
will move out and sweep through all of creation. The entire universe will be resurrected through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The whole of the of creation will be remade in His image because of what Jesus did on the cross. When we look at the cross, do not just think, I'm not going to hell anymore. That is so tiny in comparison to everything that Jesus accomplished in that moment on the cross. That's great, and I'm excited about that. Trust me, I do not want to go to hell. Okay, but this is way better than I'm not going to hell. This is way better than I'm not staying in that I'm not staying in the grave. Okay, which is even better than I'm not. Not only am I not going to hell, but I'm never going to to die forever. Okay? My life is an eternal life from this point forward. Jesus made it very clear. Your eternal life began with that first faith transaction. When you said, I believe this, and the Holy Spirit came in okay, and resurrected your insides, and now the resurrection power is moving outward in us, your, your eternal life began then. By the way, every time Jesus talks about eternal life, he is not just talking about quantitative, in other words, life that never ends. He is talking about qualitative and quantitative. It is going to last forever, yes, but it gets better and better and better forever. And that's even better. Okay? That's, 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 oh my gosh, this is what we've been given. And that's why Jesus said, this is eternal life. Knowing the Father and the one whom He has sent, He said, "Look, this is the this is the point, and this is why you should want to live forever, so you can spend forever getting to know Me, okay, and getting to know Me better." It's like the Big Bang is happening again, but it starts in us, okay. I totally believe in the Big Bang. God was like, "Let there be light." Bang, okay. <laughs> totally, I'm there. Okay, I think I think that that physicists talking about the Big Bang, I'm going, you know you're talking about creation, right? Because there was nothing, and then there was something. And physicists, by the way, do not know how that happened. They just mathematically see that it did happen. <laughs> we don't know how it happened. It just happened. Yeah, sure, it just happened. In fact, I heard a physicist one time, an atheist physicist, talk about it, and, somebody, and he was like, we don't... The reason it happened is because it could. That's like, You're a genius! <laughs> it happened because it could. Oh, God. What? Your doctorate was worth it, man. You're awesome. Have you seen the Star stuff? I have, but it's been a very long time. It was. It was that was one of the things. Yeah, he was like it was a bunch of star matter and it hit each other and it blew up. And it was Where'd the, the star thing. matter come from? I, it was it was it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, he said they took a piggyback on crystals. So <laughs> <laughs> like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Where did the crystals come from? <sighs> anyway, so yeah, we've got to get this. Okay, this is this this reality that that we are a part of an eternal picture, that something so far beyond these little 80, 90 years of earthly life has begun in us, and, and that we are walking 
forward, uh, we get so caught up in in the circumstances of our life now and what's God going to have me do, you know, in the future, what's my calling, and all that's fine. But the reality is we're going to spend billions upon billions of years in heaven just enjoying God. That's that's why you were saved. You were not really saved. I, I asked somebody one time, because I was trying to talk to them about this reality and about how, no, no you were saved for a relationship with God. That's why you were saved. you got to get that. And, and I said, tell me why God saved you. Well, he saved me so I could preach the gospel. I was like, wrong! Wrong! Let me ask you a question. If our mission succeeds and every human being on the earth gets saved, what's next? We all get to enjoy God. Right. Because the... Because if you want to know the reason God did it, it's the what's next that we need to know. Not that we're, we're having this job to do now. This job we're doing now is temporary. It's, a step. it's incredibly important, but it's temporary. And, and, and you know, it's, it's just, yeah, we're, we're, this, is, this, is, this is kindergarten. Okay? That's it's really where we're at. I mean, that's the truth. We, you know, we're, we're coloring with crayons going, look at this God, you know. And, and God's like, that's great, buddy. You know, but he is so, more exci- so much more excited about, you know, the, 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 the physics we'll be doing in college than he is about the crayons that we're, doing right, that we're drawing right now. Does this make sense to everybody? You know, and, and, and he loves this and he wants this and this is really important to him. But he's so not, this, this is just, what has to happen so we can get there? It's just preparation. We're just packing for the trip. So we can watch them like recreate worlds and stuff. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna see what happens. I'm bummed. You know, it's. But that's where our sights should be set, either on the millennial reign of Jesus, which is gonna be so great. By the way, I'm so excited about the millennial reign of Jesus. I can't even tell you. But that's just a thousand years. What's gonna happen after that? Okay? That's only a thousand years. I know, only a thousand years? Well, yeah, but that's all it is. In comparison to billions upon billions of years in, you know, keep going. Okay, there, there is no end to our life after the millennial reign of Jesus. It doesn't end. That'll make your nose bleed. Okay? But that, this, uh, having an eternal perspective should change everything about the way we live now. It should. And we should be living our lives out of that place. That the things that we care about the most are truly eternal realities. Okay? So we care about getting people saved absolutely because that is a truly eternal reality. Okay? And I care about learning who God is because that is an eternal reality. I care about my relationship with God because that is an eternal reality. I care about developing godly character inside of me because that's an eternal reality. These things will go on forever. Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven where it can't be taken from you. Don't allow the, this temporal reality around us to blind us to what's coming. Because creation 
hasn't. The earth hasn't. Creation is watching, waiting, and groaning for the coming day. Okay, the trees, the mountains, the ocean, all of it is groaning right now. The whole global warming, blah, blah, blah. Of course, the world is falling apart because death and decay are at work in it. And we're helping because we are incredibly, we are still, as a race, marked by sin and decay. Okay? But we are moving out of that phase. The end of that phase is coming quickly, more quickly than we can imagine. And all of creation is going, please, please let it come. All right? Now, I want to talk a little bit about prayer. Okay? Because Paul immediately transitions into talking about prayer. And it might not feel like these two things are related. But that's because you have a wrong view of prayer. All right? Our eternal destiny is based on, built in, and the ground floor of our eternal destiny is this thing we call prayer. Because this groan that's going on in creation and this groan that's going on in we who carry the first fruits of the Spirit, that's intercession. That's what that is. That is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what this is. That's why Jesus taught us to pray it. He gave us words to express this eternal cry that is burning on the inside of us. Oh, let it come! Yes, God, we love your dreams for the universe. Let it come! The ache of creation is resounding in our ears. We feel it. The whole world feels it. Complete atheists are watching the sea ice melt and blah, 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 blah. And you know what? And they're just like, oh, it's so, it's so horrible. What are we going to do? And I'm, you know, and, and I go, you need to learn how to pray because it's the only thing that's going to change this. It's the only thing that's going to restore God's shalom to the earth. It's this place of prayer. Now, I want, I want to push into this. I'm a prayer guy. Okay, I love prayer. I'm the Quadrant One pastor at this church. Quadrant One, which you will find out soon enough, what we're going to be doing it is um, worship, prayer, and preaching. Okay, um, you're going to be a part of our Quadrant cohort that we have that we will have here at the church. My dad's going to be teaching it. He'll be teaching all the way through this what we call the church life model, which basically takes the 15 biblical things that the that or the 15 things that the Bible says the church should do and splits them off into sections and says we need to be, you know, there's this category, this category, this category, okay, and we need to be devoting attention to each one. And we are building our church staff and the way our church functions around those categories, which are called quadrants, okay, and uh, which they shouldn't because there's five of them. There's actually six in one way, but anyway. They're quadrants. But they're quadrants. No big deal. Well, the way he says it is there's a core, and then there's four, and then there's four quadrants. And the core has two of the quadrants inside of it. But anyway, leadership and vision and management are the core. And that's, that's two. Leadership, vision, and management. So are the two core ones. And everything else comes flowing out of those. So then is Pastor Ron the core pastor? And then management, him also. Darwin. Darwin. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's our management guy. But they, they are the core. And then 
quadrant one is me, quadrant two is Pastor Frank uh, Tallarico, and uh, quadrant three is Eric Pio, and quadrant four is Pastor Barry, which is quadrant two is uh, <clears throat> community, spiritual community, okay, which is like small groups and, and elders and, and that kind of thing. Uh, quadrant three is discipleship, which is classes and that kind of thing. Quadrant four is evangelism. So it's really good, actually, and it's built on the fivefold ministry gifts. Um, it's really good. The center would be the apostle, and quadrant one is prophet. Quadrant two is um, pastor. Quadrant three is teacher, and quadrant four is evangelist. So that's the five. So it's it's really good, and, and you guys will learn a lot about it as we move forward. But I'm quadrant one, and so I'm the prophet guy, and I'm all about prayer, okay? Because I understand the basic ground of, of this whole prophetic thing is in this place of saying yes to the dreams of God, yes to, to what God has planned over his church, to his leadership over ourselves and over the universe, is our cooperation with him. Okay, we have got to get this. Okay, verse 26. Well, interesting. No, we'll, we'll stay in verse 23, 24 right now. The, this is the groan for kingdom come. The Holy Spirit within us groans for the coming age when all things will be made right. You know when you see something, you're like, that is just wrong. You know what I'm talking about? You see something, and it just, it just kills you that that's real, that that happened, that that, oh my gosh. And everybody, no matter whether they're Christians or not, has that reaction to stuff. Where they see things and they're like, that is just sick and wrong and gross. Okay? That happens because that is what we have seen is something so backward from the way things that we were programmed to see them as, they, as God created them. This original DNA of God that He impregnated the universe with, okay? That He's filled, that everything. That everything came forth from God, from who God is. And so righteousness and justice and truth and honor and beauty and glory are all things we desire because they are all things that, that these are things that describe Him. And when, think, when we see things backward and opposite, when we see dishonor, when we see unrighteousness, when we see you know, the, a lack of justice, our hearts ache because we know it's built into us. Christians should be this way more than anyone. But we see something that's just disgusting and we say, no, that's wrong. Well, that, that, is, that is this first fruit of the Spirit at work inside of you. That's resurrection life is changing your DNA back to the DNA of God. And, and you're seeing that stuff and going, no, I hate that. And God's saying, yes, that's right. Take that no Take that no and, and lean into it in the place of prayer and say, God, I'm asking you to change this. God, this is wrong. I agree with what you say about this thing and I ask you to make it right. It's, that's what launches us into the place of prayer is an understanding that God hates this thing more than we do. And we step into that place of, no, Father, let it be. Change this, shift it. 
And this, this momentum of, of the salvation plan of God that is saving more than just us, but the entire universe, and is going to make all wrong things right, make all old things new. Okay? That, that, that push, that your, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, God, you know, stop this, end it, shift it. Make it better. This is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. That is an intercessory stir in our hearts. And when we don't take that and let it drive us to the place of prayer, then we're wasting it. Because there's things we could do with our hands to try and fix it, but the reality is they're not going to work. Because when we step into the place of faith and the place of prayer, that's that's where things will really shift and really change. And God has, this, this, this is a reality that we need to understand. God has pended his plan on our agreement. We don't get that. Okay? We don't understand it. Um, his His. God, the way God works is by speaking to the hearts of men and women, filling them up with his plan, his dream, his vision, and then watching and then enabling us to birth it through faith and through agreement. Okay? Since the creation of man, God has never done anything on the earth without the cooperation and the faith of a human being. Wow. It's true. Look in scripture. It just makes so much sense because like when creation happened, he, was, he gave man dominion. Yes. So that makes, because I've been wondering like, God could just do this without us praying. To, like, why do we need to tell him what's going right. on? Like, because he knows and he could change it. He could. But that makes sense because he wants our permission. Exactly. He wants us to agree with him. He won't. Because he gave us the authority. Exactly. And he won't take it back. How cool. That's awesome. We have to get this. This will drive you to prayer. Won't it? If we come to the place where we understand that God only and always works through people. He will not do things without us. Which is just mind-blowing. There's a scripture in Isaiah that says, I do nothing without talking to my prophets first. Why? Because he wants human agreement with his plan before he will let it... Uh, before, and, and more than that, he wants faith. Check this out. I just, I, as I was praying into this, the Lord reminded me of this verse. Luke chapter 18, verse 7 through 8. Okay? Jesus is teaching on prayer. Uh, 18, right? Jesus is teaching on prayer. This is so huge. Oops, what did I do? It's Luke 18. Come on, Josh, pay attention. Okay. And he, he, he teaches this, he, he does this, this parable, okay, about the unjust judge. Okay, you know the parable. There's this woman who's trying to get an, uh, she's trying to get a ruling, a, a, a just ruling from this unjust judge who doesn't fear God or man. 
And so she stays in his face all the time until finally he says, look, I don't even care about whether this is right or not. I just want you to leave me alone, so I'm going to do it. Okay? And Jesus says, in verse 7, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? <coughs> now, what, what does that last part of the verse have to do with what came first? God will do this if you learn to, if you are consistent in the place of prayer, God will act. I promise you, He's not an unjust judge. He's a just judge, but He re, He will not move until you have moved Him. Okay, He won't. He has pended His plan on our agreement, and that is just crazy. But then look at what Jesus says next. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is asking, am I going to have people here in that last day who are believing and asking for my return so that I can bring the change that I've promised. Jesus also said, I will not return until they say to me, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's pended his plan on our agreement. And in that particular verse, he's talking about the Jewish people, not even the Christians. But the Jewish people will have to be inside the city of Jerusalem saying to Jesus, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord before Jesus will return. Why do you think in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is all about slaughtering all the Jews? He knows if there's not a Jew in Jerusalem saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus won't come. So if I kill all the Jews on the planet, I won't have to worry about that. Why has Satan been trying to kill the Jewish people for all this time? What was the Holocaust of World War II all about? Jesus made a promise. I will not come unless. And Satan is banking on Jesus' promise way more than we are. We've got to get this. God won't move without man. He won't. He will not. He refuses. He can't. He, he could, he can, but he won't. Because in Genesis 1, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said to each other, let's make man in our own image that he might have dominion. And when God declares and decrees something, he doesn't take it back. You got this. Okay? I'm going to read a couple more. There's a couple more verses I want to bring to your attention. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, is it, it is impossible to please God. Why? We are a people called, brought to life in the Spirit, so that our faith can birth the dreams of God onto the planet. That's why we're here. Uh, 
I was at a conference just uh, last week or whenever before Thanksgiving in Colorado, and the Lord began to say to me, just ring this truth in my heart. You are here because I want you to see these things in my heart for you, these dreams, these realities for you personally and for the church. And it is your faith and the faith of those around you that is going to birth these dreams into the visible world. They exist in the invisible. In my heart, they're there and they're done. But until your faith births them into this world, they won't come. Because I wait on you. So many times we, we talk, God, won't you come? God, why won't you come? God, why won't you answer? Blah, blah, blah. And God is going, no, 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 no. I'm the one waiting on you. When I come, will there be faith on the earth? Will there be faith? 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 is the first time I got a peek at this reality. And this is what it says. The promises of God are made yes and amen in Jesus. Which we know that. Jesus made them possible. It was his cross that made the promise of salvation that God had been giving from the time of Adam and Eve. I promise, I promise, I promise. Jesus, a human, fully God, but fully man. Do not discount that. He had to become fully man in order for it to happen. And only in Jesus has there ever been perfect agreement with heaven, which is all in a human being. Which is why only in Jesus have we seen the things move that moved. God had to have a human on the earth to bring about salvation for a million reasons. But this is one of them. This is one. Because he gave dominion to human beings. Why is Jesus going to be exalted and crowned and rule over the earth? Why? Because he's a man. And he's God. You've got to get that. Jesus had to become human. This is a Christmas message. Who knew? He had to become human. He had to for the salvation plan of God to be enacted because God had to have a human being to flow his agreement through. And what is Jesus doing now? He ever lives to what? There is still a human being in perfect agreement with God releasing the, the plan of God onto the earth. telling you, this goes farther than you think it does. 2 Corinthians verse 1, 20, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 says this, all of the promises of God were made yes in Jesus, but our amen resounds to the Father through him. Okay, so it is our, there is something left to be done. Jesus finished all the work except for this. Yes, Lord. Amen. That's the only thing he didn't finish. He needs people on the earth with faith that are birthing 
God's dreams into the planet. He's got to have it. Do you understand? It's so massive, and it's so huge, and it's so important. God can't, I won't say can't, i got to hold myself back from it, because he could. But he won't work without you. He won't work without me. He refuses to do so. He wants us on board. Why did he do that, by the way? Because it glorifies him. Yes. Through us. Like when yeah. we agree with him, it just brings him glory. That's the answer to every question about why did God do this? It's because it brings glory to him. But how does it bring glory to him? Because we're choosing it. Exactly. We are standing in this place of saying yes to him, even though we only see through a glass darkly, even though we're really messed up and there's, there's agreement in our hearts and God's going, I love this! And all of heaven is like, wow! That is amazing! It's that Ephesians verse that just blows me away every time I think of it and I can't, it's, it's chapter 2. I can't think what it is. Through the church, <laughs> the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Okay. That's God is using broken piles of dirt. This is what we are. You know, we're lively piles of dirt. That's what we are. And he's using us to reveal his majesty to angels, to angelic beings that are so glorious that we have no clue of who, even who or what they are. He's saying, do you think, that, you think this is awesome? Look at this. And for all of eternity, he will have a people who said yes to him and who birthed, though the broken, though the messed up, birthed heaven onto the face of the earth little by little by little over generations until finally Jesus the firstborn of those resurrected from the dead will complete the work but not without our intercession if you read the book of Revelation the, earth, the church on the earth God responds every time to the church on the earth every judgment that gets poured out there is a human element saying, God, come! And then he does it. Look. Go ahead and look. Whenever you have a chance, go ahead and look. Before every single thing that happens in the book of Revelation, there is some human agreement that happens before God will move. Which is one of the reasons I have a hard time believing we won't be here for that whole scenario. Because God still needs agreement on the planet. And he's going to have us down here reading the book of Revelation saying, The next seal, God, it's time! Open the second seal! And God's going to go, yes, I will. And then, psh, okay? And, and he's going to pour out just, you know, that he is step by step of his plan. Even the first time Jesus came, God had earthly agreement. Do you know the story of Anna? Okay? Anna was a woman whose husband died when she was very young and before she had had children. Okay? She got married. She was probably in her late teens, early 20s, okay, and her husband died, 
very early. But instead of getting married again, which is what most women would have done, she said no, and she moved into the temple court. This is right immediately prior to the birth of Jesus. This is, well, not immediately. And she spent the next 60 years praying and fasting for the coming of Messiah. And then this young couple comes walking in named Mary and Joseph to the temple to dedicate their newborn son who's eight days old to get him circumcised and to dedicate him to the Lord and the Holy Spirit speaks to Anna that's what she'd been praying for and she walks over and she she prophesies over Jesus you can read this in the Gospels she prophesies over Jesus this is who he is this is the fruit of my prayers. And Simeon is another character, the same kind of story. He's a righteous man, but he spends day and night in the, in the house of prayer, begging God to bring about what he's promised. And then he, he sees the, the baby Jesus there on that day that he's being dedicated. And he says, I can die a happy man now because my life was not spent in vain. I spent time saying yes to the plan of God over my generation, and here it is, birthed right before my eyes. And let's not forget Mary herself, who when the angel showed up and said, Blessed are you, Mary, said, Let it be unto me as you've spoken unto your servant. She could have said, No way! Do you know what's going to happen to me? No! And God would have picked someone else. But he did, she did it. She said yes to God in that moment. Human agreement. God needed a mom, for a virgin, to give birth to his son. Do you see? This is so massive. So huge. God has ordained that nothing happens in this world without the faith of his people as the catalyst Nowhere in the Bible already said that. That's because why we were created. Anna and Simeon, and now, now, at the end, God is raising up a prayer movement across the planet. Across the planet. There are little places, little pe little groups of people. You know some of the large ones, like Paul Young Cho's church in Korea, which has people praying on Prayer Mountain 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And one of the things they pray for every day, every night. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's agreement growing up in that place. Okay, Kansas City, the house of prayer in Kansas City, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's been going on for, for 10 years now. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And there's a prayer movement going on across the globe in the church, unlike anything we have ever seen in the history of Christianity. Do you know that there's a revival in Iran right now that is so powerful that the government is freaking, the government in Iran is freaking out about what they're going to do. They're like, what are we going to do with all these Christians? Because all these little house churches in Iran, can you believe it? In Iran, all these little, there's millions of people coming to Christ in Iran right now. Just by the, by the millions, just people coming to Jesus. There's a massive revival going on in Iran. It's so cool. Is it from that, that lady that was like, I read something about this lady who was like, I guess called just to like, just to witness the Muslims. 
I have no idea. I'm sure God has a million different ways. There's a revival going on in India right now that's unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of the world. There's a revival going on in China right now. Something like a million people a month are coming to Jesus in the underground church in China. It's unbelievable. We are watching it happen before our eyes. And all of these little movements are marked by night and day prayer. All of them. God's doing it all over the earth, all over the planet, except for Western Europe and the United States and Canada. <laughs> but even here and there, there are, we, you know, I mean, there's obviously believers in those places, but the kind of revival that we're, we've seen in Central and South America and that we've seen in Africa and that we've seen in, in Asia is not happening here right now, but it will. I'm telling you it will. God is going to bring that fire back to us because we sent it there in the first place. It's so good. <laughs> because God needs a bride on the earth saying, Come! 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 So that He can finally say, Alright, it's time. And step into the sky and end this thing. Everything that happens in the book of Revelation happens to do two things. Number one, to show that the rule of man outside of God causes only destruction. And number two, to stir God's people in the earth to a place of prayer unlike anything that has ever existed before. Because we're not just birthing the second coming of Jesus, we are birthing the resurrection of the universe. It's going to come via the shout of the church. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it's going to be great. Okay. Now, verse 28. Everybody knows this verse. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Okay. We love this verse, but I think 29 is better. I just do. Because it's the reason for 28. By the way, the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that makes us a praying people. And I, I kind of... When we begin to talk about this reality of human faith, we have got to understand that all of our faith is a gift from God. That it doesn't come from us. That it comes from the activity of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And that all of our prayer is just agreement with the groan of the Spirit on the inside. We aren't coming up with these ideas on our own. We're not asking God to bless our thing. We are being made aware by the Holy Spirit of what God wants to do in this moment, in this time. And we're saying, yes! Okay, that's what we're doing. And we've got to get that. That is why you have got to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He lives right here. Get to know the guy. Okay? You can't pray without him. It says right here in verse 26, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts and knows what is it, in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know not that for who... The, what? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. These things are connected. 
It is the activity of the Holy Spirit inside of you, teaching you how to pray and what to pray, and teaching and praying through you through the gift of tongues. Use those tongues. You should pray more in tongues than you do in English. You should. I don't know what I would do without the gift of tongues. It is my favorite thing. It is. It is. Because I run out of stuff to pray. But I can pray for an hour in tongues and have a great time. I mean, just like, oh, and it's just, it's like, you know, it's like, I've been wanting to say this all day, you know, because the Holy Spirit is searching my heart and, and then praying the will of God for me, out of me. That's nuts. But I love it. Why would he do that? Because he needs human agreement. Even if we don't even know what we're agreeing to. We're just saying, yes, Holy Spirit, pray whatever you want through me. It is, he is, it's so cool that the most unruly part of us, we give over to the Holy Spirit to change everything. You know, in the book of James, I believe it is, where he talks about the tongue and, and controlling the tongue and, and like how important it is. And how unruly it is. God's saying, you know what? I'm going to take the most unruly part of you and I'm going to use it to birth your destiny. <laughs> oh, yes! And so I will pray in tongues as much as I possibly can because it's awesome. Please, I'm begging you, spend extended time in tongues. I would challenge you to spend an entire day speaking no English. I mean it. I mean it. Try it. Someday when you don't have to have a lot of interactions with other people, okay, or just let everybody in here know, hey guys, I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend an entire day and I'm only going to speak in tongues. Don't speak in tongues to anybody else because it's not for anybody else. There's this, there's this teaching out there that says, that says that we can communicate to each other in tongues. Wrong. It's just not in the Bible at all. So it's just not. It's just not there. It's, it's a stupid teaching. It's not, it's not in the Bible. Uh, you're just enjoying speaking in tongues because it's enjoyable, okay? <clears throat> but, and spend an entire day, I mean, from morning until the time you go to bed, and don't say one word in English, just pray in tongues all day long. I remember when I first got filled with the Holy Spirit, I've been praying for tongues for three years. And finally, it came, um, and, and I spent the next three days... If I wasn't speaking English, I was speaking tongues under my breath because I was just like, this is so great. Oh, I love this, you know. And I challenge you, try, or at least try, you know, just take a day and say, I'm going to speak as little English as possible today. I'm only, I'm just going to, you know, if I have to, I will, but other than that, I'm just going to speak in tongues. It's going to be good. Try it out. I could get super awkward, like, hey, Josh, how was your day? You just forget, like, that you're not speaking English, just off the tongue, so like, Well, I had, an, I had an experience one time oh. in a prayer meeting where somebody prayed for me, and I was just out on the floor, and when I got up, I, I literally could not speak English for about an hour afterwards. And, and I tried, and only tongues would come out. It was really weird. And my friend, like, asked me a question, I was just like, I I did <laughs> and every time I tried, just only tongues would come out. I was like, "This is just." It was actually kind of frustrating. I yeah. I I just I just 
went someplace by myself because people were talking to me and like. I've done that before. While I'll be praying and I'll be like, God will fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'm speaking in tongues and I'll try like pray normal so I know what I'm saying and I can't and I'm no. like, I know what I'm saying right now, but like yeah. it's just. It's okay. Well, you can awesome. ask God to give you some understanding of what you're praying for, and, mm-hmm. and sometimes He will. Or He'll say, "Well, this is what you're praying about this." <laughs> Or sometimes I will say, hey, Holy Spirit, I really want to pray about this issue, but I want you to pray it, not me. And so, and so I'll launch into tongues there. And I, I'm hoping I'm praying about that. because, <laughs> And then a lot of times prayer answers will come out of that that I couldn't get out of my own. Um, if, you're, if you're having difficulty understanding a, a scripture or a, a verse or whatever, just speak in tongues over it for a few minutes and watch the Holy Spirit just drop revelation into your heart from that because the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, Abba, can you, because they're idiots, can you just, I mean, it's right there. Can you please just tell them? You know? <laughs> Father's like, okay, she won't. <laughs> like, it means this. <laughs> no, I think what actually happens is that our, our minds aren't like in sync with the Holy Spirit enough to hear what He's trying to say to us. And when we go to that place of tongues, it just kind of aligns us better. And we're able to hear Him better. And so that's why it's not, it's not like God's like withholding information. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, where am I? 29. Yeah, okay. We know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now this verse is launching us into chapter 9. Okay, That's what this verse is doing. He's beginning to talk about the foreknowledge of God over His people. Okay, And we need to grab hold of this. And I'm just going to teach chapter 9 to you Okay, in the next 15 minutes. And it's going to sound super Calvinistic to you because it's Romans chapter 9. Okay? And this all it's talking about. Now, we'll bring some balance to it in future as we move forward. Okay? But I want you to just be left with this, um, with this biblical reality that cannot be taken out of Scripture without really, without just ruining Scripture. Okay? You can't. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. God chooses who will follow Him. And he knows what choice, he knows if you're going to say yes or no. He knows. Not only that, but he makes it possible for you to say yes or no. And it's not based upon what you have done or will do, including your choice of him. Alright? It's just, it's in scripture. Jesus said, the only ones that come to me are the ones the Father gives me. He doesn't say the only ones that come to me are the ones that decide I'm a good teacher. He said, the only ones that come to me are the ones that are given to me by the Father. In other words, God is saying, this one, this one, and this one. Okay? We've got to get it. Okay? God, really? Yes. We also, there are these two things that in the Bible look like they war with each other, but they don't in the heart of God. And that is that God chooses us, and we choose Him. And they fit. They kiss. They don't they, they aren't at war with each other in the heart of God at all. They're just at war in our hearts. We're like, it can't be that way. And God's like, well, it is, so suck it up. 
it is very obvious in Scripture that God is saying, you must choose me. But it's also obvious in Scripture that God is saying, I am choosing you. It's, they're both there. And for anybody who is an honest studier of Scripture to say that that's not true, they're just lying to you. Now, they're going to play up one side and be like, no, God chooses us. It's not about what we do. Da, 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 da. Or they're going to say, no, it's about our choice of God. And we have to, they, you know, that's because it's so unsettling to just stick with the balance that's in Scripture that these, both of these things are true. Both of these things are really true. Yes is the answer. Which one is it? Yes. It's both and, and we've got to get it. That these things lie right next to each other in Scripture, and that's just the way it is. Calvinists take it too far, and they, they completely remove the choice of man from, from the picture. But it's obviously there. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I set before you life and death. Choose life. It's over and over and over and over again in Scripture. You have to say yes. You have to. But it's also over and over again in Scripture. You can't say yes till God enables you. It's, it's hard. And I don't, have an, I don't have an answer. I don't have a way of, of dissolving the tension. Because God didn't give us a way of dissolving the tension. There's no verse that, makes it, that helps us to go, oh, well, that's how it works. No, it's not in there. God talks about both with equal vehemence, equal passion, equal purity. And they're both true. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's so, that's just good news. By the way, this has caused a lot of people, like, doubt. Okay? How do I know that I'm foreknown? Hey! Come on in. This has really messed with people's head. Well, how am I one of the predestined ones? I don't know. Am I or am I not? And a lot of Calvinists deal with this issue like, well, we don't really know if we're actually chosen or not. Bullcrap. Yes, you do. And the, re the way you know is the activity of God in your life. And this is also clear from Scripture. If you are changing to become more like Jesus, guess what? You are one of the elect. So that's great news, isn't it? Yeah. God is, God is shifting me. Therefore, I'm one of his, because God doesn't do that for people that aren't. Okay? And just come, just sit in that place and let it wash over you the assurance of the fact that God's chosen you. And he sees your end from your beginning. And he, he has a beautiful thing for you in the future. And that's not once saved, always saved, because that's bullcrap. Once saved, always saved. That, that sentence is true. Once you're saved, you're always saved. That's, that's true. But they apply it to people that, well, I filled out a membership card, therefore I was saved, therefore. I had five minutes where I didn't feel like, I, like sinning, so I was saved at one point, that means I'm still saved. No, wrong. That's not the picture that, that is painted in Scripture. The, the picture of the Bible is the person who's becoming more like Jesus. Yes, you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to have issues. Yes, you're going to take one, two steps forward and one step back your whole life, but the person that is moving forward generally for their, the rest of their lives is the person in whom the Spirit of God is active. And that means you're one of chosen. But if you fall away and you never come back, no. But I'm sorry, that's the way it is. You, all right. 
we're gonna getting off the <laughs> subject here. I think a lot of people also have a lot of different um, misconceptions of what once saved always saved means. Yeah. Because I talked about it with my brother-in-law, and he's like, a lot of people think a lot differently of what it really truly is. Well, there are churches that honestly preach it that way. Like, so. if you filled out a membership card, you're good. I've been to the Baptist church. That's not it, but... That's not what Calvinists yeah. actually believe. Calvinists say that once God has resurrected you and resurrection work powers that work in you, that he doesn't take it back. And I think that's the, the clear teaching of scripture, honestly. But that's not... Anyway, we're just mm -hmm. going to keep moving. Those whom he predestined, he also called. This is why Paul says this, okay? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We're becoming like Jesus. But this is why we're becoming like Jesus. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The most preeminent among all of us. Whenever you see the word firstborn attached to Jesus, it doesn't mean that he was the one that was born first. It means he's the most important. He's the preeminent. That's what it means. It's a cultural context that we don't understand. He is first, preeminent, most important, of highest importance among many brothers. We are becoming like him because he's the model. He's the he's you know the one Christus exemplar. Okay, Christ our example. And those whom he predestined, he also called. If you haven't been called, there are people you will preach the gospel to that will never hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We have to know that. That sucks. It does. But we have to know it. That there are people out there who will never <coughs> say yes to God, who will never hear the Holy Spirit call their name, or if they do, will never say yes to Him. See, this is, Calvinists would say, if you hear the voice of the Spirit, you are, the, you are elect. Because no one who isn't elect can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think that's bull. I think all through the Bible, the, the, the Bible talks about, uh, you know, in the book of Psalms, it says he pours forth speech over all of the earth. You know, that, that there is, God's constantly calling all of mankind to come to salvation. And that's his desire. Of course he is calling there are people that will never hear that call and respond, or there's people that will hear the call and never respond, or there's people that will hear the call and desire to respond, but wait too long and end up... Okay? Calvinists say that's not true. They believe in something called irresistible grace. Which means that if you're one of the chosen, you can't say no. And I just don't see that in Scripture at all. But does God know if you're going to say yes or not? Yes, he does. That doesn't that doesn't change the need for us to say yes. His foreknowledge of our choice does not make the difference. Have you, have you ever seen Minority Report? Mm -hmm. Great film, by the way. See it's it. <clears throat> but it's all about there's these three like people that live in a pool. <laughs> And, and they can see the future, and they, but the only thing they can see is murder. That's all they can see in the future, is murder. And so, before someone's going to murder someone else, they will, say, they will tell the cops, basically. It's hard to explain how it all happens, but 
and the cops show up and stop the murder from happening and they put that murderer in jail even though they've never done anything wrong and the question is how can you put somebody in jail that's never done anything wrong well they were going to yeah they were going to do something wrong just because I see that just because God sees the choice you're going to make does not mean he makes the choice for you there's those aren't the same thing those who he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified which is good and those he justified he glorified I want to draw your attention to this reality he didn't say we'll call we'll justify we'll glorify he has called he has justified he has glorified it's past tense even though he's talking about people that would be born thousands of years in the future, Jesus' work over their life is done. So you're already justified, and you're already glorified. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And we don't see the manifestation of that yet. But we're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. Right now. That's already true. That's not a, well, you know, after the resurrection, blah, blah, blah. No. Right now. It'll make you feel different. What shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What? We're the inheritors of the universe. Congratulations. Is that amazing or what? We share in the inheritance of Jesus, the Son of God, <laughs> because we're his bride. The husband and wife don't have possessions of their own. They own everything together. And we're Christ's wife. That's yeah. What's up? <laughs> Uh, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is it to who is to condemn? Okay, who should bring any charge against God's elect? Come on. So when Satan starts talking to you about you're this and you're that, you're this, just look him in the eye and say, You're gonna bring a charge against God's elect? Excuse me? <laughs> I don't think so. Who are you to judge the one that's been justified by the ultimate judge? I've been justified, I've been glorified, so you just need to shut up. And you are gonna be burned. <laughs> who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that he was raised who is at the right hand of God and interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ come on people oh. shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword it is written for your sake we are being killed all day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It doesn't matter what we face or what we go through. This destiny is set in heaven and cannot be changed. I am an heir of the universe, co-heir with Christ Jesus. You can kill me. You can kill my family. You can take everything I own. I stand in this place and nothing can take it from me because Jesus bought it for me and gave it to me as a gift. It's over. We win. End of discussion. 
And no matter what pain or difficulty I go through, I can look and say, this is so trivial. This is so small. This is so worthless. It's like somebody complaining about the paperwork they have to do to get their lottery winnings. Okay? It's, you know, come on. Well, I don't have to fill out this paperwork to get my billions of dollars that I just won in the lottery. But that's stupid. Are you an idiot? I mean, come on. Look at what's coming and just consider this a tiny little detail. That's what Jesus says about all the difficulty that we're going through life right now. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh. Told you Romans chapter 8 is the face melting guitar solo of the of the New Testament. <laughs> it is. It's so great. So I mean unbelievable. This mountain range that we have to look at. Alright, we have no time to do nine. <laughs> we didn't even get to the first verse. <laughs> no, but let me talk to you just because I want to move to, I, well, well, we'll hit nine very briefly next time. But you guys are gone next week, right? Yeah. yeah. We will hit nine very briefly next time um, because it's just, it's, it's the Apostle Paul taking this reality of, of God's foreknowledge and his predestin- and predestination and just walking out that argument. Okay, so he begins to talk about, first of all, he begins to talk about Israel. Remember that he's talking to two different Groups of people in Rome, he's talking to Jews who are now Christians and Gentiles who are now Christians. And so now he's going back because he just said that those he foreknew he predestined and the Israelites are saying, we're the elect, we're the chosen ones, God chose our people, excuse me, they don't get in on this, number one. And number two, what happened to all the rest of Israel that don't know about Jesus yet? This isn't fair. And that's what they're saying. What happened to God's chosen people? And the Apostle Paul begins to say, look, I, you have to understand that I will, I would, if it was possible, I would go to hell so they could go to heaven. That's what he says in the very next few verses. Now, tell me right now that you have that kind of passion for the lost, because I don't. The Apostle Paul says, I'm speaking the truth of Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience bears witness by the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, the Jewish people. Man. Yeah. I know, That's right? I'm know. not there. I can't Sorry. Even, I've only met Because my whole life, my whole purpose is... That's my grandma. Like, she, uh, but that's not life ever. Well, Jesus doesn't do that, but... And he begins to say, look, you have to understand that to Israel belongs the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, comes the Christ who is God over all. Jesus himself came out of that line, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. They are the chosen people, and it was through their agreement that God has done everything he did up until this point. But... Not all Israel that are Israel. He says, Not all who are descended from Israel belong to that group called the chosen people. 
Not all are children of Abraham because they are his physical offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise that are counted as offspring. God promised to Abraham that his children would inherit this promise of the Messiah and, and this reality. But here's Ishmael, son of Abraham, firstborn son of Abraham, and he doesn't inherit. But Isaac does. It's because God said, not him, but him. Isaac's the child of the promise, not Ishmael. And so Isaac inherited all of that. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are children of the children of promise. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our, father, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of his works, but because of his call, she was told, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. We have again... Isaac's two sons, Esau and Jacob. But who was the child of the promise? Jacob. And God said that before Isaac or Esau were ever born and had ever done anything, ever made any choices about their life, God said, it's going to be Isaac. It was God's sovereign choice. I've elected him. And then their two lives bore out the reality of who had the activity of the Spirit in them and who didn't. Verse 14, what should I say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Because immediately you say, well, that's not fair. The Apostle Paul says, excuse me? He said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills, but he hardens whomever he wills. God is sovereign. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man? To answer back to God, well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Remember what is in, what God was about when he created all things. He created people that he knew would say no to him. And you might say that's cruel. And I say your perspective is wrong and your priorities are wrong. First of all, they are sinners. They committed sins. They lived a life that deserved destruction and they get destruction. 
That's fair. That's not unfair. The fact that God offers mercy to anyone is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the fact that there are these who will die and go to hell and these who will die and go to heaven. If our priorities are right and the glory of God means more to us than anything, we will count the glory of God and the revelation of his justice as more important than the billions who will burn. That is hard, that is harsh, and that hurts. But it's true. And it's the clear teaching of Scripture. And God does not wish to be protected from the truth. on and in verse 30 he says what should we say then Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it that is a righteousness that is by faith but the Israel who pursued a law that would not that who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness they did not succeed in reaching the law why because they did not pursue it by faith but by works they have stumbled on the stumbling stone as it is written Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This reality that I've just expounded to you is a rock of offense. You are allowed to be offended by this reality so that it can lead you to truth. Because if you are offended by it, you are holding the worth of man higher than the worth of God and your priorities are wrong. And you need the help of the Holy Spirit to turn your heart. Because the entire human race that doesn't know this truth and the law of the church would say, if that's true, then hell is not fair. But the truth is that hell is fair. It's heaven that's not fair. If you want pure fairness and justice, we should all burn. Every one of us to be fair deserve death eternal. But God wanted to show that he's merciful. Abba, I admit freely that it took me about a year to not be angry with you about what we just talked about. That I had to wrestle in prayer 
and in the Word for a long time before I could bow my knee to this truth. And Lord, I would not be surprised if the hearts in this room aren't in the same place. Lord, I pray that you would guide them even as you guided me. And Lord, even to this day, there are echoes of that accusation that rise up in my heart from time to time. But Lord, the truth is the truth. And Lord, I pray you would teach us, guide us gently and beautifully to bow our knee to reality and to love you more for it. I love your word. I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week next week. Where are you headed? Evansville. Home of the Brave. Sophie, did you get those? No thanks. Did you do Bible study all five hours there and five hours back? That would be fun. Yeah. I've never taught for five hours. Uh, I've done three. Well, we're giving you an opportunity to try five. So, I'm good, thanks. We can even drive under the speed limit to give you five and a half or six. And he's like, yeah. Bye, guys. See you later.
How are you getting there? Oh. Have fun. Sorry. I don't have a car to drive.
a tablespoon of butter and I'll pay you back when we're home.